Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together business owners, leaders and experts to talk about their business journeys and provide them with invaluable insights and explore the link between personal and business success. I am your host, Warren Munson, founder of Evolve. I have previously founded, grown and successfully exited three businesses in the business services and technology sectors. I have a passion for helping and advising businesses and seeing them succeed. We all know that leading and running a business comes with its own unique joys and challenges and Evolve provides the advice, guidance and support to the business, you and your teams on that journey, be that if you're starting, growing or looking to exit or step away from your business. We do this through our Ignite, Thrive and Optimize programs and services, which includes strategic advice, coaching and mentoring, leadership training, funded business support and so much more. If you want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolveadvisory.co.uk or connect and message me on LinkedIn. For now though, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to the second part of our countdown of the top 10 Evolve to Succeed podcast for 2023. With tens of thousands of downloads in 2023, we wanted to take this opportunity, as I said in the introduction to last week's episode, just to highlight some of the most popular conversations that have really stood out and received the biggest response from you, our listener. Last week, we counted down from number 10 to number 6, and we heard from Joe Barry, Managing Director of Plasma and Care Solutions, Carly Germain, CEO of Woodstock Legal Services, former BBC Chief News Correspondent Kate Aidy, Adam Walker, co-founder of The Foundry, and Mark Trent, CEO at fourth-generation family-run vehicle recycling company Charles Trent. So without much further ado, let's dive in and see who's made the top five episodes of the Evolve to Succeed podcast in 2023. Coming in at number five is Gerard McSharry, owner and director at Higher Ground, a flooring company that has thrived since its establishment in 1990. Gerard has encountered various challenges while at the helm, including recessions, wars, a banking crisis and the recent global pandemic. Nevertheless, he has adaptly navigated through these trials, accumulating a valuable wisdom which shone through and he shared with us during the course of our conversation. It must be been a moment of co- you've just got to have that self-confidence. Going to do this and take the consequences. Should be great, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've done a skydive once, um, <laughs> tandem, and jumped out. Braver man than me. <laughs> and jumped out of the plane with to the hope that the parachute will open and, and it, it's a bit akin to that to be quite honest you, you know you, you, you it is a complete jump out and hope the parachute works because when we did it when we changed and it was a complete change from sort of the bottom end of the market to the, the top top end so we pretty much jettisoned most of our clientele and we also happened to do it probably at the worst time you could possibly do this which was 2011 in the midst of the biggest banking financial crisis mm, yeah. the world had ever seen nobody was moving house nobody was investing nobody was spending money banks weren't lending um but yeah I, I, there's no good time is there i mean if, no. if you look back over the last 10 years and we're talking about business investment and pe- business people want certainty absolutely to invest yeah. money um but if you look over the last 10 or 11 years, there's been no point where there has been any certainty. So it hasn't existed since that 2008, 9 
situation pre- really precisely you know we've had brexit for five years we've had pandemics we've had three wars in the time that i've been doing my business so there's you know you could sit and wait around on the on the, on the sidelines or you yeah. can just go right got to do it now because if i don't do it now i'll never do it so it, it was it was literally that it was like right it's now or never and i didn't have any funds i didn't have any backers i i did it all off my own back i don't mind saying that i put it all on my credit cards yeah. um up to the limit, so much so that I think I had one card left with about £2,000 on it. Couldn't pay my rent. I was actually going to move into the shop because <laughs> I, I backed myself to that degree and backed myself wow. into the corner to that degree. But you think, oh, I've got an idea. I'm pretty sure it's going to work. And if no one else is going to do it, then, then, I'm, then I will. So that's, that's how it started. Any hints and tips on how you've... Because you've obviously found some good people to work with for sure yeah absolutely i've been lucky i mean you know again luck i mean luck does play into it you can work you can work really hard and, and not get not get luck but i think anybody in business who's successful if they didn't sort of say at some point there was some luck involved i think they'd be lying yeah. but yeah we've been fortunate to work with the people that we we have um you know I, i've sort of found them out i've you know i've, I've looked around so when, when 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 i'm looking at my business for me i Again, a bit of a cliche, but I sort of compare it to a, a football team. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a football manager. I'm not a massive football fan, but a, a good football manager will always look at the weakest point of the team and try yeah. and improve that. And it's, I think for me, it's the same with business. So I look at what what's the weakest part and what can I do to improve that yeah. because customers will sort of they'll they'll see that anyway. They might not even be aware that they're seeing that. If there's a if there's a weak if there's a weak link um, or there's something that isn't quite right, yeah, they might go and use a competitor. So you've got to try and make everything as good as it can be, um, and and like that it includes the staff employing good yep. the best people you can find, attracting the best people, retaining them, yeah. making sure they're happy, incentivizing them, and bringing them along, and letting them understand the part of the journey as well, um, so that that. That they're they're on board with what you're doing um, because without without good staff without good people working with you and and, and you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. In terms of you know, you say you've spent half your life now, owning, running, participating in this in this business in some way, shape, or form. What effect has being entrepreneurial, being a business owner, had on your own personal life? <laughs> <laughs> there's been some long hours there's been some long hours um for sure anybody who runs their own business will, will probably tell you that um it's not for the faint-hearted for sure um looking back you sometimes do you have your moments thinking was well, is it is it worth it you know has it been worth it but by and large yes it has i mean i i couldn't imagine working for anybody else i, I, I think i'm pretty much unemployable i think Aren't we all <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't think anybody would have me for five minutes but um it's yeah it, you know the good times are great the, the hard times you got you got you, you only got yourself to to find the answers from you know yeah. you, you got to find them from somewhere because ultimately people's livelihoods you know lay with you so you know it's it's great employing people it's great in growing a business it's great all, all those things when things are going well and, and and everyone's you know doing well from it you know making people redundant is is the flip side of that we haven't had to do that, I think I've had to do that once in in 26 years that that's that's a horrible mm, thing to have to do is. you know that's that you know I, I know people um who really really have struggled with that it's you know because these people become part of your life yeah. the people that you know the they've got mortgages they've got families they've got kids you know so you've got that responsibility with you all the time 
um, that these people depend on you and they depend on your decision making because as great as the guys are that work for us and they are, and they are great that they're not the ultimate decision maker mm. right? no, I'm the ultimate Buck stops at one place exactly, exactly right it's why so many premiership football managers have been fired this season <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, it's an impossible job yeah. but um, you know not everybody can win um, yeah. and it's in, in football terms anyway but so when, when you're making business decisions you know, I, I have a I have a sort of a rule of thumb that I try and always abide by, which is um, when you're weighing up a decision, you know, what's the best that can happen and what's the worst yeah. that can happen. So you sort of like bridge. a yeah, like a plus and minus column, and um, you know if the pluses outweigh the minus, I think well, on the, on the downside, this doesn't work. Okay, it might cost X, but on the upside, it, this could happen. Then you thought, okay, well, try that and. I'm still here after 26 years, yeah. so maybe 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 that stood me in good stead. I don't know, but there have been some 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 close run times, you know, when you when you think, okay, maybe we'll do this, we'll try this, well let's do this because we're feeling in, we're in a competent position, we'll try this, and you know it it, it hasn't worked or it doesn't yeah. work, but as long as it as long as it doesn't ruin the business, as long as that downside isn't catastrophic, yeah. um, and you can recover from it, and you go right, okay, well I learn from that, I pick myself up and, yeah. and move on and um, try the next thing. Yeah. You know, and say, okay, well, maybe this will work. Simon Hawtrey Coombs has been a franchisee of the global DPD group for the Bournemouth and Southampton branches since 2001. In addition to this role, he has successfully owned and managed various other businesses, including a commercial cleaning company, a boat charter business, and also a peer group company, Peer to Peer. Leveraging his extensive experience, Simon now collaborates with and provides guidance to business owners and CEOs, catering to a diverse range of enterprises from global household names to emerging startups. This was a great conversation about the benefits of looking after yourself, giving up alcohol, but also what it means to be a franchisee in the modern world and some of the benefits of franchises. It's a great, open, honest conversation, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. Anybody that's met you would say that you've got this tremendous sense of energy, passion and drive. You know, and there's a, there's about, you know, putting on a show and being enthusiastic yeah. is one thing. But where do you think that innate drive and energy comes from, Simon? I think sort of around the mantra that you know the greatest days I asked my children what the greatest days they enjoy the most in their lives and they said well Christmas Day yeah their birthdays and my my eldest son said Glastonbury okay (laughs) and those are are great events in 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 people's lives surrounded with enthusiasm and planning yeah like our holidays and I think how can you make every day like a Christmas day wow and it is about planning. And do you honestly wake up thinking that? Well, sometimes, um, well, I didn't. You know, some days were a bit foggy and a lot of days were, were quite foggy. But I think that sort of the mantra of living your greatest life, you know, um, around simple things, you know, making your bed look like a Four Seasons hotel and the pillows plumped, laying your dinner table that looks like a Michelin star restaurant. You know, these are little tiny yeah. things that you can do, little habits that do make a difference. And thinking, I can, or, or driving around in a, in a spotlessly clean vehicle, you know, rather than a, you know, yeah. with the children's lunch from three days ago, <laughs> you know, still on the uh, on the back seat. But you can create these tiny little habits that. And I drive my brother to frustration in terms of your life is always with your rose-tinted bloody glasses. (laughs) Um, So it can infuriate people in terms of that level of 
enthusiasm and energy. But like anything, you know, you've got to turn up and do the best that you can, yeah, whatever you it is. you put into it, yeah. Yeah, and if, and if it enthuses other people, and people say, even when you've got a bright shirt on, Simon, all your stupid socks on, right? Um, <laughs> noted, uh, Warren, very nice socks. But, you know, you can light up a room when you yeah. walk into it, and it's best to light rooms up when you walk in rather than when you walk out. One of the things you get right is relationships and sales. And I think that so many businesses perhaps don't, get beyond two or three people or definitely don't get anywhere near yes. a million pounds turnover is because they get the sales, the relationships, the client delight piece wrong. So any top tips you would give to somebody listening to this that wants to focus on those areas? Yeah, I, I from, you know, from experience in terms of the customer journey that most of us create a, about engaging customers and our funnels are quite cool right they're quite good yeah and the piece around now we've got them as a customer they've agreed to engage with us and what that looks like is pretty good as well normally so that kind of funnel piece the customer journey piece yeah, yeah. The, the the last piece is what creates a lifetime journey of the customer you know why are people still trading and working with you and there is the area that you can create what we call our tnts are tiny noticeable things that can okay. like TNTs, like the bombs that blow the customer, you know, thinking, yeah, oh my that. God, when I dealt with Warren, you wouldn't believe it. And I always laugh. Um, you know, one of the greatest examples I can share with you is going to the Four Seasons Hotel in Geneva. And a good friend of mine went in, we had a few drinks and we had backpackers, we were going skiing. We came out of that hotel and we were laughing our socks off because the service was so good. The whole experience was so good that we just thought that they thought we were somebody else. <laughs> Rock stars, Hollywood, um, royalty, you know, or, or they just completely mistaken who we are because the service was that good. And that's the piece, the advice that when you've got a customer, what can you do to create those TNTs that are so engaging that... Because normally what happens, at that point, we've done the funnel, we've got them in, we've invoiced them, we've, we've created a sort of relationship, and now we've just taken them for granted. Yeah. And that happens in life as well. And you think in that point where you've taken that client for, for granted is the moment they say, we're going somewhere else. Yeah. Why are you such a believer in the power of peer groups? I feel that, you know, given the fact that if you play squash with an Olympic squash player every single week, and you've never played squash before, you're going to get very, very good very, yeah. very quickly. And I think you are, there's some, Jim Rayner says, you are the sum of the parts of the five people you spend most of your time with. And we've got a choice over that in terms of who we spend our time with. And if you lie down with dogs, you will come up with fleas. Mm. And if you hang around with idiots, you'll become an idiot. So always surround yourself with people that are moving at a quicker, faster uh, rate than, than, than you are, or perhaps uh, you want to aspire to where, they, where those people are. And we love our, our peer groups, we love hosting them. And when we drive into our venues and there's helicopters and Ferraris and beautiful settings in beautiful hotels, you know, that's aspirational. Um, most of, for me, people are there for lots of different reasons. Um, people want, uh, want to win time. Mm. People want to be healthy. People want to create wealth. And the, some of the parts is the people in the room, not me, but the people in the room can make that difference for our members. 
and sharing their journey is the yeah, sort of, and through collaboration and understanding. But hey, if you're with um, a group of people that are facing the same challenges as you are, and sharing that within a confidential environment, yeah. hey, it's going to help, isn't it? And thinking, yeah. well, from my experience, have you considered or have you thought of? And it is absolutely amazing. Having been a member like yourself, yeah. Warren, for many, many years, and you're thinking, oh, you know, we've done a skill-up session, we've done a hot seat, we've done all these component parts. And when we're going a summary at the end of the day, four-hour session and thinking, right, what are you going to do as a result of today? And, think, so, and they say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and thinking, not even thought of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that is the goal. That's it. At number three in our countdown is Helen Stacey, Managing Director and Owner at Aspire, a boutique recruitment agency located in Dorset and Hampshire. With a wealth of experience exceeding 30 years in the recruitment sector, Helen established Aspire to distinguish itself in the marketplace and reflect her personal values. Her remarkable career highlights include the successful establishment and growth of what was, at the time, the largest independently owned recruitment agency in the South. Starting from scratch in 1999, it elevated to a peak turnover of 13 million overseeing five offices and a team of 70 staff. All of our guests during 2023 came on with a very candid approach and an honest approach. But some of the stories that Helen shares are really important for us all to hear as business owners and leaders. And was owning a business and running a business what you anticipated it to have been, having been that kind of employee before? It's tough and it's a really hard transition. Mm. And you learn a lot. Well, you should learn a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was great fun. We had moments of high stress. Um, I remember the first time Paul did the payroll, and the first time he went on a holiday, Dave and I missed the deadline for getting the money to the bank by about a minute, and we only had about 50 temps out at the time. And we had to literally go into NatWest, sit in NatWest, and make up cash pay packets to deliver to people because we couldn't afford not to pay them because no, they're getting paid weekly and you lose them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, of course, it's, you don't you don't envisage setting up own business and doing stuff like that. But yeah, it's on the whole, you look back and you remember hopefully the good stuff. Yeah. You know, there's some other stuff in there which we'll talk about in a bit, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I think it was... I'm not sure that I was necessarily destined to be an employee forever yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that yeah. at all. If that's... The route people go down and we and we you know we need employees obviously we need yeah. people that just want to do that job and go home but um yeah it was tough because you know i was living on my own and you didn't want to worry your parents so much about talking about it yeah um and, th- and also things happen that are out of your control you know i remember when 9 11 hit we've been going for about two years and most of our temp business was in the aviation sector and it just disappeared disappeared overnight yeah. and you can't foresee that no. um so yeah, gosh, you learn a lot. They wanted to keep me at that time, but it was hideous. Mm. And whilst I realised it wasn't my business, I couldn't even, back in the day of writing cheques, I couldn't even write a cheque for 15 quid to go to a chamber lunch without ringing an FD in Swindon to get it mm. authorised. And I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And also I wasn't in the best headspace. No. You know? Um, so I, yeah, I, it was it was horrible. And I took the decision actually after about three months that I just didn't want to do it. I couldn't work in what was my yeah. business that wasn't anymore. 
yeah. through those reasons. Yeah, through those circumstances. Yeah, it wasn't like you chosen yeah, to yeah. kind of... Um, well, I suppose we had chosen it, but not, you know. Um, yeah, and I gave my notice in and I worked my notice and I came out of recruitment <laughs> vowing never to go back into it. And that was 2008. <laughs> Here we are, 2023. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 15 years later. Yeah, exactly. But... I mean, I hope you don't mind, but it would be interesting just to explore. When you reflect back now, how did that experience affect you and how has it changed you as a person? Um, I was always the least risky out of the three of us. So I'm, you probably know this, Warren, from the past. I'm quite risk adverse. Dave would probably be somewhere in the middle and Paul Paul was probably at the other end. And the three of us work really well together. And I think what it's done and what it's done for me setting up Aspire Jobs is I am very cautious yeah and I was always like that I didn't you know my personal life I don't necessarily spend money that I don't have I think yeah it was tough I took time out um I remember going to the chamber offices and one of the members of staff saying to me I'd been out of of the business for a couple of months it was just before Christmas and she said to me you look so much healthier and Mm. I said "I, I don't understand what you mean I look in the mirror and to yeah, see what I see <laughs> yeah. and she said oh my god you were grey you lost loads of weight you look so much better um, and I was like you don't you just don't necessarily see it do you you no. just um and then I was like well I need to earn money yeah because obviously there wasn't this big pot of money that I'd suddenly um been given and I came out of recruitment and set up a different business but wrong time I think mm. and I carried on kind of spending the money I had savings and I kind of carried on with the lifestyle almost as if I was yeah. still earning the big bucks. And then got to a point in the summer, I was like, uh, okay, this isn't going to work. And check. I, yeah. I need to go and get a job. And I went and got a job working for someone else within recruitment. That client loyalty and building those relationships have clearly been a skill of yours over the years. And as you say, people have followed you, Alfred Marks, into Smart, into Aspire, and, and other roles you have perhaps in between. Mm-hmm. What tips would you give to anybody starting a sort of you know recruitment or a business services business or I suppose anybody in the way they rely on developing those client relationships any tips you'd give on building client relationships for longevity it's about old-fashioned communication so you and it's about being honest yeah and if you don't understand something you ask and if you for us if we can't fill a role and we, we're in a marketplace that I've never seen anything like it in 30-odd years, where there's so many jobs and not enough people, there are times where we can't fill stuff, or it's taken us a lot longer, not just us, recruitment generally, taking a lot longer to fill, to fill jobs. And it's about being honest, because if you're honest with people, they will respect that. But it is about, this is going to sound really cheesy, but it's about being kind and treating mm-hmm. people as you wish to be treated because they will then refer you to other people. Yeah. And I get called all the time for jobs that I don't understand, perhaps really high-level IT jobs, and I'm like, straight over my head, don't understand job spec, what is the point? Yeah. So I will then refer that to someone else. It's like, not, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you. It's like, actually, I know this person, they might be able to help you. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just, it's not it's not difficult. It's It's basic common sense, I would say. Following over two decades of grappling with drug addiction, including periods of homelessness, incarceration and rehabilitation spanning several years, Steve Wyatt discovered a talent for furniture restoration that became instrumental in rebuilding his own life. 
Today, as the owner of Restored Retro, a furniture restoration business, Steve collaborates with repair shop star friend and mentor Jay Blades. Notably, he stocks Jay and Co's furniture and his shop, marking a significant chapter in his journey of personal and professional restoration. This was our first video YouTube episode and therefore can be listened to and seen on YouTube. But some of the highlights really are there to be heard. And again, a really honest approach about his life, the mistakes he made, but also the regeneration of his life that he is now going through. The guys that I was hanging around with that I first got introduced to the to the drugs, you know, I pushed them away really quickly. I think, you know, I scared people, um, you know, my behavior. Um, you know, I was doing it to extreme. Mm. I really was just fully pushing the boundaries. My mum and dad, they totally, you know, I was hiding what I was doing and I, I think they knew. Um, so they sent me to live with my brother in Cardiff. I was, okay. I was about 17. To take you away from that scene, rebase, yeah. reset, restart, off you went to Cardiff. I went to Cardiff. Um, I'd have been 17 okay. and it got worse. My brother was, um, he was working, he was, so he would have been 24. Um, you know, the drinking yeah. continued. Then I found some clubs in Cardiff and then was there for about a year and then it all fell apart. Um, I was working the fishmongers down there and, you know, borrowing money, um, you know, manipulating mm-hmm. um, just to get what I wanted. It was a lifestyle that was kind of out of control really quickly. Um, you know, I was 17 years of age and I was I was taking, you know, a lot of ecstasy, alcohol, cannabis, um, amphetamines. So, yeah, it, that went on for about, um, till I was about 24. Okay. I, I went back to Birmingham, then I, I got a chef's job. And I, so I, you were still holding down work and jobs? Ha- at yeah, yeah, this I was point. Hol- yeah, yeah. Um, I managed to kind of hold uh, jobs down up until I was about 24, 25. So I had this, like, you know, I'd go somewhere, I'd work there and then, you know, it, I'd, I'd end up getting into trouble or getting the sack and then I'd go to another job. I'd literally bounce from job to job. Just spiraling around and around job. and around on a roundabout, as it were. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, nothing was ever my fault. I was just about to say, was there any point in this story so far where you thought, Steve, you know, you're being an idiot. Go on, sort it out. No. What finally made you decide, I need to do something? Because, you know, that in and out of rehab, obviously not really committing to it, going through the motions of it. Um, Well, the rehabs that I'd gone into, um, they weren't 12-step. So one... The second one that I went into was a therapeutic community. It was Christian-led. So you had to go to church. You did a raw detox when you went in there. You couldn't smoke. You couldn't swear. Uh, You did garden jobs and furniture restoration. So it was this point. Wow. It was this point. They put me in a furniture shed and they had a um, they used to play Christian music, and it was great, man. You know the guys that were there. Um, you know we were all in there. We had a good bonding. Um, 
So we, they put us in the shed with this music on and we, we got taught how to restore antique furniture. And it was great. So even though the rehabs piece didn't work, something there started to resonate with you. It did. Um, from that point, I think the seed was sown. Um, I went into that centre. So I'd do six months in there, a bit longer. I'd put a bit of weight on. I'd get my family back and I think, right, okay, I can go out there now. I can get a flat. I can get a job. I'll be all right. Mm. As soon as you got out, I thought I could have a drink. I could dabble in this. Then I'd be straight back to where I was. And then everything just escalated and from there yeah, every single you know, time. And, the, and over the over the 10 years that I went in and out there, the consequences, they got stronger. Mm. For me, I, I believe that furniture, you know, restoring furniture has saved me, honestly, yeah. because it's given me everything in life. It's given me purpose, direction, you know, and some of my best friends have, have come through meeting people through, through doing furniture. But you're doing it now as a business. Yeah. And sometimes there's this thing, you know, do the things you love in life. But sometimes when you do them as a business, it can take away the joy. Has there been any moment where doing it in the, to the scale you now are, you know, we're sat here and restored retro is an amazing shop. Thank you. You got, you know, Jay and Koenig, you know, literally through the archway that our, our listeners can probably see if they're watching it on YouTube. Yeah. You know, you've spread. Has it taken any of the joy from it? Well, yes and no. Whereas it became from doing it in, in the garden, mm. then to going into Bournemouth Vintage Emporium, and yeah. then stepping up then uh and then the shop coming along about two years ago just over two years now which we got um as an incentive um it literally went from low hundreds to probably over a thousand restored pieces in the last two years yeah. um and are you still restoring most of that yourself yeah is there... yeah every piece that you see in here now i restore myself our number one podcast for 2023. Well, here we are. Appropriately goes to an extraordinary individual named Toby Guttridge. In 2009, Toby experienced a life-altering event when he was paralysed from the neck down after being shot while on duty with his SBS in Afghanistan. His recently published book, Never Will I Die, chronicles his challenging childhood in South Africa, his journey into the Special Forces, and the miraculous survival and aftermath of the profoundly life-changing incident. Toby's remarkable story serves as a poignant reminder of the determination of the human spirit and the untapped potential within each individual. It was an incredible privilege to sit down and have a conversation with this amazing human being. So the other bit that I'm really intrigued about after I'd read the book, and even having this conversation with you now, Toby, is... You're, you know, you're very strong and independent of mind, and I can only imagine what you were like in your late teens, early twenties. And yeah. you know, but the military is about teamwork, and up until that point in your life, you'd been a very independent soul. How did you find that transition to being part of a team? And you know, because that's again about business as well. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we yeah. Great right. founders yeah. and entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. and we can go out and do these things, but we need a team around us. Here's the strange thing about that is I loved it. 
Okay, it was just I an immediate loved click, it, was it? Yeah, because it was actually something I was missing in my life. It was something I was totally missing in my life. Yeah. I'd been such a loner and a lone wolf my entire life and had to do things all by myself. Then all of a sudden I came into this brotherhood and I call it a brotherhood on purpose because it's not just a team that um, are there being paid to, to support you or um, have some ulterior motive. These are guys that will have your back for life, you yeah. know, and this team of people you can rely on regardless of what time of day it is or how much mm -hmm. they're getting paid or whatever. These guys are, these guys, it's different. Yeah. And it was something I was missing my entire life. And it actually was something that drew me to the military as well, was okay. that family, that team. That connection that, that you connection never really had that I never had. I never had with a family. I never had with friends growing up. So... Yeah, you'd think, oh, he must have struggled because he's used to being on his own and, and a, a, a single player. But no, absolutely not. It's the exact opposite. I loved it and fell right into it. And yeah. it's something really special when you've got that kind of team where you can rely on regardless, you know. We need to talk about it, don't we? It's one of the, you know... Focuses of the podcast, I suppose. Very soon after that, though, you were on a mission. Yep. Um, and your accident, you know, occurred. That's right. As far as you can, you know, as far as you're able, could you tell our listeners a little bit about that mission? Yeah, of course. Uh, so we were um, in an AO, an area of operation, which I, I, I can't say, but it was, um, yeah, in a foreign country. Um actually not Afghanistan um, and we were after a high value target who was you know the upper tier of the Taliban regime because we were there to sort of cut the head off the snake yeah and we go after the big players and I remember the, the day I remember uh, you know going in for our uh, brief what we were doing that night who we were after you know going through the motions um how we were gonna approach the targets making sure we had the right um assets um and i remember going out on the ground getting to the targets um middle of the night pitch black um and yeah really we were at the time um we were told look there's there's women and children on target so our normal method of entry um we had to kind of stand down on okay. and we had to then uh sort of think outside the box mm -hmm. and think how you know how are we going to do this and you come across these problems, these are the sort of things you have to deal it's with. It. Yeah, it's part of it. And unfortunately, this then took the sort of risk of the operation a lot higher mm -hmm. um, for us. But we, we, 
as you know we were determined to get it done and we were determined to yeah follow through on what, what our job was so basically we we turned to an ulterior method of entry which kind of gave our position away um or gave the elements of surprise away mm. and that gave them that split second to set up get set and unfortunately as we came through into the compound or the building they had just had those few seconds to prepare mm. and we lost the elements of surprise uh and they opened fire on us mm. and i was shot through the neck mm. um unfortunately that hit my spinal cord um and paralyzed me instantly from the neck down um However, very lucky to be alive. Mm. Um, the second round ricocheted off the side of my helmet, um, which would have killed me instantly. Uh, and yeah, uh, I—that's that's all I can really remember. That's it. Um, yeah. But I have spoken to my colleagues about what happened afterwards. And, yeah. And and things and and the follow-on process, but um, that's the long and the short of it, really, unfortunately. But. These things happen in life, you know. In that story, in that journey, is there a pivotal moment where you think something changed inside you, though? Or you change your approach or you had some help and assistance? Because, again, we all go in nowhere near the dark places you've been, Toby. But everybody in life goes through their challenges in their dark place. Mm, you know, and yeah, it, it's does. just like a fraction of what you've been through. But, again, listeners might be able to take something away about the approach you took about, you know, when you reach those darkest days and you turn the corner, what do you think you did differently? I think I was, I was, well, yeah, when I reached my darkest moments, um, at first I, didn't really know what to do. Um, I think that was the first time in my life where I really didn't know what to do. Mm. Um, and I think what I did differently for me was I then accepted the fact that I'm going to need help. And that was huge for me because my entire life I'd only been reliant. I'd been self-reliant and I'd only relied on myself. I didn't, you know, um, I took, I'd always kind of taken the approach of, um, or quite a hard line of, you know, that's a last resort to ask for help. Yeah. Um, but I realized I was in a situation where I didn't have the skills, um, and I didn't have the knowledge to to get me out of where I am now. Um, so the thing I did was, yeah, I really, um, I basically just put my hand up and said, look, I need help. Brilliant. I need help. Um, that's the biggest thing I think I did. And I was fortunate enough to get the right help. Yeah. Um, to just get me out of those dark 
dark places. But on a, I guess on a, on a, on me personally, I, I just, I dug deep. I tried to remember the qualities that made me who I am today. I tried to hold on to those little flickers or embers of the fire inside me that used to burn so bright. I used to hold, and I was just holding on to that for for, for dear life, and you know, um, trying to throw as much kindle on it as possible to to get it, you know, back, you know, going again. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. And don't forget, if you'd like to learn more about Evolve and the services we offer and how we can help you and your business confidently start, grow and exit, then please go to evolveadvisory.co.uk. Please also help and support this podcast by subscribing, liking and giving us a positive review on your favourite listening platform. Thanks for listening and see you next week.